0: to Matthew 28 and we'll just use this to introduce what we're doing and then we'll go to Matthew 18. But in Matthew 28, the Lord right before He ascends into heaven gives what is known as the Great Commission beginning in verse 16, <clears throat> then the eleven disciples, Matthew 28, 16, then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power or all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That first word, teach, there means to make disciples, preach the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And then, after they're saved, to be baptized, picturing Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and how that their sins have been buried, they rose again to walk in newness of life, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, and then verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. And so we've been concentrating for the last number of weeks on that phrase, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and what we've been doing is going through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and seeing where the imperative verbs are at, the commands and fleshing those out that uh, sometimes we have discipleship classes but we teach more about church doctrine and other things. But here, when we look at the commands that the Lord gave, we really get down to where the rubber meets the road and they're very practical, very challenging and uh, convicting at times. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 18. And although we don't have an imperative command, we do have uh, it hinted at all all around it. And it's about a forgiveness. And the verse that we look at uh, primarily is going to be verse 21 and 22. But we're going to read all the way down to verse Thirty-five, but Matthew eighteen and twenty-one. Let me just set the uh, set the uh, context here. Jesus had just, and we looked at this a number of weeks ago. But Jesus, in verses fifteen over to twenty-one, had been talking about how to deal with personal problems within the church when a brother has something against another brother. And how you're supposed to go to them alone. You're not try to stir up, going around telling everybody. But you go to them, trying to wing your brother, not to condemn your brother. And if he doesn't hear, then take two or three witnesses with you, that every word may be established. And in the sense of a neglect to hear them, which tells us that those two or three that went need to also make some kind of a statement about what they've heard. It may be that he, the one that... Uh, thinks that he's been offended they may have to say to him listen you got this all wrong Uh, you you this is not uh, a problem and they may need to correct him or they may need to correct the other person but if they neglect to hear them then it goes to the church so in light of that he goes and he begins to teach upon about forgiveness how that uh Problems need to be forgiven and moved on from. And so in verse 21, then came Peter to him after all this discussion. And he said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. And Jesus saith unto him, say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And then he talks about forgiveness and gives an illustration here. Therefore, as the king of heaven likened to a certain king which would take account of his servants. And he had begun to reckon one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion And loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me and I'll pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after they had called him, said unto him, Thou, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So, likewise, shall so my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And so, uh, a very weighty passage. Um, the parable here, understand that it's, it's on forgiveness and not on salvation. He says there in verse 23, he says, that therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king. The people that he's talking to are headed for heaven. They're already citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so it's not talking about uh, salvation. But he's talking about Forgiveness. Now, if anybody in this world should be a person that's willing to forgive, it ought to be a Christian. And we've talked about uh, in our studies, there's a difference between uh, horizontal forgiveness and vertical forgiveness. Horizontal forgiveness is when one person to another person has asked forgiveness. But sometimes people don't repent. The Bible says, to "Repent, forgive them." In other cases, it says, "says, says to forgive them," and it's a difference between. Uh, I shouldn't have went here. <laughs> it's a difference between the horizontal and the vertical. Some people just aren't going to repent, and they're going to be wrong. But you don't have to. You don't have to dwell upon that. You can say to the Lord, "Lord, I, I want to forgive them, and I forgive them before you. I turn them over to you." But just to automatically forgive someone who hasn't got a repentant heart is not biblical, and 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 the Lord would have us not to carry that as a grudge, but to give it to Him and put it out. But what I'll say to her is that that uh, as I've stated, if anybody should have a heart to forgive, uh, we ought to. Uh, here it is hanging on the cross falsely accused, Christ severely beaten for no wrong, reviled, spit in the face, and and he cries out from the cross, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We ought to take the example of Stephen when he was being stoned, made the prayer, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. We ought to have the heart of Joseph who at first his brothers discussed whether they should murder him or not. And then they saw a caravan coming and said, why should we murder him when we can make some money? And so they sold him into slavery. Of course, he goes down into Egypt and becomes second in power to the great nation of Egypt. And when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he said, Fear not, for I'm in the place of God. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people. And therefore, fear you not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And so, actually, forgiveness is the stuff of true godliness. Christians are really at their best when they are forgiving. And let's just be honest. Christians, especially (laughs) independent Baptist Christians can be very critical, very judgmental. But at the top of the list ought to be a heart that's forgiving. John Wesley on studying Ephesians 4.32, which says, And be kind one to another, tender heart, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. As he thought on that verse, he says, if this be Christianity, where do the Christians live? And so it's a sad commentary on our lives. One commentator said, a Christian who will not relinquish a hateful resentful attitude towards someone who has wronged him, is a person who knows neither the true joy of his redeemed humanity, nor the true glory of God's gracious divinity. An unforgiving Christian is living is a living contradiction of his new nature. It is central to the heart of God to forgive, and only the Christian who radiates forgiveness radiates true godliness. And so uh, just to give you a little outline here. First, we're going to we're going to note Peter's question, and then secondly, we're going to note a debtor that's talked about. Then we're going to note a creditor. And then finally, we're going to note a prisoner. <clears throat> Let's first note of Peter's question here in verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven do you see any kind of a lack of humility in that question? He didn't say, as I sin against someone, but how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? He automatically assumed that he was going to be wronged. It was not how many times should people forgive him, but should he forgive people. And he, and, and he, and he says here, How oft shall my brother sin against uh, against me and I forgive him seven times? How oft shall I forgive him? Well, in, in doing this, in questioning this, and to say, how many times do I need to forgive him? Peter actually, he thinks he's being very noble here because he's going further than what the rabbis taught in that day. The rabbis taught that you forgive a person three times and then you're done with that. And Peter said, should I give him seven times? You know, I'll be four more times than the normal. And uh, he was trying to put himself in a, in a good light. Rabbi Jose Ben Hania said, he who begs forgiveness from his neighbor must not do it more than three times. Rabbi Joseph Ben Jehuda said, if a man commits an offense once they forgive him, if he commits an offense a second time they forgive him, if he commits offense a third time, they forgive him. And the fourth time, they do not forgive him. And so Jesus answered and said, not seven times, but seventy times seven. Now, surely you understand here that you know seventy times seven is four hundred and ninety, and and uh, if uh, if four hundred ninety one times comes, then you can lower the boom on him. The Lord's not teaching that, and in fact. In fact, if you got this little book, you know, and and he sinned against you one, two, <laughs> and, and you keep record for four hundred and ninety sins, uh, you've not really forgiven, have you? you are not moved on from it. And so Jesus is trying to point to, to Peter how silly he's talking here. It should be put behind you if he confesses their sin and forsaketh. And we ought to also put sin behind us uh, that, that we've been sinned against so I mean we can we we could we could uh we could take account and we could you know keep score and and mark and mark down every time someone sins and and keep record of that but um how do you uh How do you keep a record of God's forgiveness? How do you measure that? How deep is it? How wide is it? What exactly is it that he's not willing to forgive? 1 Corinthians 13 is that great love chapter. And, uh, of course, it uses charity for the word love. Love. And it is the same word, agape, in the original language. But it implies that true love doesn't keep a record. You know, I forgive you. And then when something comes up on down the line, don't you remember what you did to me? True love doesn't keep a record. And so he's going to give this story. It doesn't actually use the word... um, parable here but it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning and he's going to talk about first of all a debtor he says in verse 23 therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king which would take account of his servants and when he had begun to reckon one was brought unto him that owed him a thousand talents First of all, let me say to you that uh, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And for the loss, of course, that's going to be a judgment that sends him to hell. But the Lord also is going to bring us before the judgment seat of Christ. And though we're not going to be judged for sin, because that's been paid for at the cross... Our lives are going to be judged in that we took opportunities or we didn't take opportunities, that we responded in the proper way or we didn't respond in the proper way. But here in this place, the servant is brought to account, and it should cause us to wonder how is our account with the King of Kings? When God weighs us in the balance, will he find us wanting? And here it says in verse 24 that he owed 10,000 talents. I know that uh, the gold value we here in Alaska kind of keep an eye, at least some of us do, on what the gold is. It will mean if the gold is high, then... More people can go to work mining. But actually, uh, the, 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 uh, when I put this together, uh, the gold, I don't know what the price was, but when you measure it in today's standard, what was owed, of, when it talks about these, this talent, what was owed was $10 million, 10,000 talents would be equivalent to $10 million, and when you put it into the first century, it was a tremendous amount of money. The total taxes collected by Rome in one year was about between 800 and 900 talents. And so, 10,000 talents was enormous. The wage for one day back then was a pence. And it'd take a person 20 years to earn one talent. And so if he's going to try to work this off, if it took 20 years to earn one talent, then it would take uh, it would take uh, 200,000 years to earn the talent that was required that's picturing the sin debt. The bottom line is, What this man owed to the king was impossible to pay. He just couldn't pay it. He couldn't pay it in a a hundred lifetimes. It was impossible. Look over in Romans chapter three. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Not only use this verse to talk about how we can know sin, but he's saying to keep the law is not going to make you justified. And then he says, In verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. He talks about how deeds can never pay for that. And he talks about the terrible condition all down through here. There's none righteous, no, not one. They're all going out of their way. And in the end, when you get over to chapter 6 and verse 23, he says that the wages of sin is death. And so how is he going to get out of this situation? How is he going to pay this great debt that he owes? This 10,000 talents. Well, the king here, he falls down. The, the man, in verse 26, he fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. He was merciful. He had compassion. There's a desire within this man's heart to do right. There was a desire to pay. There was no denying that he owed the debt. But he couldn't pay it. Salvation only occurs when you understand that you have a debt that you can't pay. And a desire to pay it. And you seek for mercy. And what happened? Well, God forgave him. There's only one hope and that is for the king to be merciful. I'm afraid that, uh, I know the Lord's been working on my heart here lately in a number of areas, particularly in the area of anger. Like a silly guy, I went and bought a book on anger. (laughs) We wanna say, well, we have righteous anger let me say to you that probably less than 1% of our anger is righteous. Yeah. It's because you can't do that to me. Don't you know who I am? When we're to esteem others better than ourselves. If you get down to the bottom line, the Lord does say, be angry and sin not. But that was anger. You know, that's the anger against unrighteous things yeah. that defame our Savior. But most of our anger, you know, a guy cuts us off in traffic. <laughs> and how that anger covers, anger is not just one emotion, it, like many emotions, but anger affects our whole body. And the bottom line is uh, anger is sin. You know, I expect my food to be hot. I expect it to be ready when I get home. I expect my kids to be all in line there, like, you know, sound of music. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we get angry about angry about many things because um, we're pretty stuck on ourselves. But here we see him forgiving. Forgiving a debt that we couldn't pay over two hundred thousand years. So let's not forget that we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. Let's not forget that if you're saved that you were condemned and guilty. Let's not forget that we were stuck in a miry pit. Sinking into the miry clay like 20 years ago in, uh, down at Anchorage and out in the Turnigan Arm where the bore tides come in and the tides are great tides, not just inches but feet at a time. And how that the, a girl and her boyfriend were out there prospecting and She got stuck in the mud and they couldn't get her out and they called the rescue guys and they came out in a boat and they couldn't get her out. And and finally the tide came over and she perished. Well, if God didn't rescue us, we were gonna be stuck in that miry clay. Have we forgotten that one time we were without hope and without God The psalmist said, for my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. Have we forgotten that our sin covers us up like iniquities going over our head. And so there was a debtor. And uh, the Lord forgave the debt. And then in verses 28 to 30, we find a creditor. But the same servant went out and found one of the fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. Now, we've already mentioned, and let me mention again, that a pence is like one day's wage for the common man. And so it was like a hundred days of wages. He owed him a hundred pence. It's a pretty big debt. If you owed me one third of your salary for the year in today's wages, uh, that'd be quite a bit of money. But it's not impossible to deal with. And he went and he laid hands on the man and took him by the throat, saying, pay me that thou owest." Pretty serious stuff here. When somebody grabs you by the throat, you're either submitting or if you're a redneck, it's it's fist city time. But obviously he had power over him and he said, pay me. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. It doesn't seem like he's just putting him off. It doesn't seem like it was a promise that wasn't legitimate. But he won't listen to him. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. I've never figured out how he could pay a debt while he's in prison. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. and came and told unto their Lord all that was done." That's a very interesting verse. It ought to sadden our heart when we see Christians that are unforgiving. They're very sorry. This is not to be the nature of Christians. This shouldn't be what we're known for. But here's something else and told it unto their Lord all that was done." I wonder if it would be right to address God about a fellow Christian that they're being very unforgiving. And Lord, not only does it have a bad thing, a, a bad connotation against Christianity, but Lord, it's robbing you of your glory. Unforgiving Christians should be challenged. And they were very sorry. It should bring sorrow when we see someone holding a grudge. It should bring sorrow when we know that one of our fellow... Brothers or sisters are marking wrongs and remembering them <clears throat> and we find here in this chapter what we we already said that if a brother has fall against another brother that uh, Maybe that process needs to be taken. Why, why would you want to run over and tell the Lord what's going on? Well, because of verse 32. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, Thou wicked servant (laughs) Uh, Pretty strong language. And what's it saying? It's saying this If you don't forgive, you're wicked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's where the rubber meets the road. If we don't forgive were wicked. And so the Lord calls him on the carpet. O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee? You see, to be vengeful, to not be one that shows mercy is wicked. Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. It's wicked to think that the great debt that we've been forgiven was a small thing and that you have the right to demand payment from your brother and not give them mercy. is a light thing. And then look at verse 34. And his Lord was wroth. He was, here we find righteous anger. The Lord was wroth. Matthew 5 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies... Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Colossians says, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And in fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says uh, that, that we ought to forgive as the Father forgave. But he also said, he implies that if we don't forgive, he's not going to forgive us. Not that it's gonna remove us from heaven, but him being able to be a father to us like he desires to be a father, he will not do that if we're we're in opposition to what he's called us to do. And he's called us to forgive. And then we come uh, to uh, the prisoner. Verse 34 and 35, and his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise, so he says this is is where the uh, crisis point comes. Remember in the former lessons we said that these commands bring us to a crisis point. In the early history, on the frontier, a doctor would go to a home and he said, we've reached a crisis moment, which means they'll either get better or they're going to get worse. Well, when God comes to us and we know we haven't forgiven someone, and he speaks to our heart and he tells us to forgive, there's a crisis point. We can either do it or not do it. And things are are either going to get better or they're going to get worse. And he says, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. And so he's been delivered to the tormentor. Now let me again tell you as we begin that this is not a parable about salvation or losing your salvation. And so he's saying this, as a child of God, as a son of God, as a Christian, you can be delivered to the tormentors. He's not alluding to hell. But he's alluding to being removed from society. Delivered to the tormentor. You know, one of the most isolated Christians there is, is a Christian that has an unforgiving heart. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be around him. One commentator said, the world's worst prison is the unforgiving heart. If we refuse to forgive others, then we're only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. Some of the most miserable people I've met in my ministry have been people who will not forgive others. And so God chastens him. God loves us. And sometimes he has to deliver us to the tormentor because he doesn't want his child to go through this world with an unforgiving heart. The only person you're hurting is yourself and your relationship with God. And you just become more and more isolated. And you become more and more bitter. And bitterness, the Bible tells us, can overflow onto others. And nobody wants to be around a bitter person. The man in prison, as we said, is isolated, he has very few friends. because he's unforgiving he's lost true fellowship with God and the sad thing about it is he did it to himself and so as we come to a close we come to the crisis point maybe you're here this morning and You've never seen yourself in debt to God. That's what the word reconciliation is all about, at least part of it. You know, we have, we have bank accounts. 150, 150, 200, nothing, 350, 350, 400, nothing. The debits and the credits have to be reconciled, and when we sin against God, there's a there's an absent here. There's a there's a some it's owed. I'm in debt. I'm in debt, and the only way for me to come out of debt, I need those debts to be reconciled. The bank accounts need to be reconciled, and God. God, when when we are when we are, when we have a debt that we've not paid, what what is it that we have to pay? What is it that we're condemned for? Well, the what do we need to be saved from is what I'm getting at. Well, we need to be saved from the wrath of God. We're in debt, and God's upset about not, us not reconciling. And in fact it says as we go along. That we build upon, we treasure upon wrath upon wrath, and this just gets bigger and bigger, and the debt gets bigger, and this reconciliation needs to take place, and the only way it can take place is that Jesus pays it. And we must trust in Him to pay it. And so, if you've never been reconciled with God, you owe a debt, and it's a debt that He's angry about. His wrath is going to be justified. He's going to, the wages of sin is death. It will be paid. But what about you that have been saved? Have we forgotten that we have a debt that is impossible to pay? Somehow do we think that God really got a great treasure when he saved us? Just how bad were you do you see yourself as hopelessly and helplessly lost at one time and the king of kings canceled your debt is there someone some place in your life that you've not forgiven the bible says if, if they repent if you challenge them and they repent, forgive them. And so again, let me just express, there's horizontal forgiveness. And this brother comes to me and he said, Brother Humphrey, I'm sorry what I did. Please forgive me. He's repented. And I say, sure, brother, I forgive you. And we leave on good standing. But here's someone that's a, committed to sin i approach him and he says come on grow up things happen it's not that bad forget it well what am i going to do he's not he's not he's not repented but 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 when this relationship then also the relationship with god at the top we're moving together to, towards god but when he won't forgive me or he won't, he won't repent, then, then what am I going to do here? Is there just going to be animosity continually and blocking off and also blocking off this? No, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to say, God, if, if this is God, God, I forgive him before you and you deal with him. This is a relationship that we never ever want to lose. And I'm not gonna let what someone has done to me, and they've not been repented, I'm not gonna let that destroy my relationship with God. I'm gonna say, God, I forgive them. I want to forgive them. I forgive them before you, but you deal with them now. And so, so, (laughs) I, I just have to use biblical language. If you're sitting here this morning and there's someone that you know you need to forgive and you have not You're wicked. I'm wicked. And that needs to be dealt with. All right. You see how these commands of the Lord are not uh, cotton candy. And these commands of the Lord really get right down to where we live. You can imprison your own self. Well, don't do that. Alright? You're dismissed. <coughs>